Before we jump into today's podcast episode, I want to tell you about two incredible brands we love supporting. The first is Tubes & Co. Organics. Tubes & Co. is a family-owned company creating the best skincare and makeup I have ever used. My personal favorites are their frankincense tallow balm, organic body oil, organic mascara, and their liquid foundation. Honestly, they have so many amazing products. I have loved everything I've tried so far. For Christmas, we even purchased their tinted lip balms and lipsticks for our 12-year-old who is into all things skincare and makeup, and it just feels so good to have found a brand that is truly clean. Tubes & Co. doesn't use any fillers, and the best part is their products are made with traditional fats like tallow from grass-fed cows and organic cold-pressed olive oil. You will not find any synthetics, just certified organic essential oils and vitamin-rich herbs. At Tubes & Co., they believe organic skincare products shouldn't just mean non-toxic, they should be pro-nourishment. Be sure to check them out at tubesandco.com and use the code HOMEGROWN for 10% off your order. And the second brand I want to tell you about is one we've actually had on the podcast before, and that's Kelowna Supernatural. You guys know high-quality, minimally processed dairy is a staple in our home. Kelowna Supernatural is a beyond organic dairy company sourcing milk from regenerative small family farms. We're excited to announce that they are now land to market verified regenerative by the Savory Institute, which means they've got data proving they are restoring soil, plant, water, and air quality. Kelowna Supernatural features low-temp pasteurized, non-homogenized cream top milk and dairy products, pasteurized at the lowest temperature allowed by law. That includes fermented dairy products as well, like 100% grass-fed organic kefir and yogurt. They've also got chocolate milk, buttermilk, whipping cream, cottage cheese, sour cream, and butter. I recently purchased their butter and immediately fell in love. Kelowna Supernatural is available at natural food stores and independent co-ops nationwide, including Sprouts, Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, and Hy-Vee Health Markets. Find more at KelownaSupernatural.com. Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we're sitting down with former vegan Katie Steer to hear her progression from veganism to nourishing foods. Katie now runs Wild Earth Farm with her soon-to-be husband, Ben, where they raise 100% grass-fed beef and lamb in the green hills of Vermont, and they ship nationwide for their farm club. Today, Katie is passionate about the potential dangers of a vegan diet and wants to share not only how it impacts human health, but also the health of the planet. So Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this because Joey and I have covered the topic of veganism a little bit, but it's also, it's always kind of been from our perception. So I really want to dig into uh, your story and how all this went down. So I'd love if you could even start giving us some background into your life of what were what were you doing before veganism? So start kind of there. Sure. So um, I became a vegan in college. So I'll go a little before college. Okay. I grew up on a farm that had been in my family for seven generations in Rhode Island. Um, and it had gone out of business before I was born. So it was just a really fun playground for me basically growing up. Um, and I really loved it. But I always heard that you can't make a living farming, so mm. it was just never even on my radar. I, I never, I guess there weren't really any like farmers in my town even, even though it was an old farming town. Hmm. Um, and funnily enough, <laughs> now I know that I meant to be a farmer, but I never knew what I wanted to be growing up when I was a kid. You know, most kids are like, I want to be an astronaut or a doctor or whatever. 
I always just copied the person next to me when we got asked that in school. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always hated that question. Yeah, me too. So I went to college for business um, and studied finance. And it was probably a month after I started college. I had gained maybe five pounds, you know, from all the food um, in the dining hall. And I read this book called The Skinny Bitch. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but... Um... Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's the title of the book. Yeah. And now I, oh gosh, it even like gives me anxiety saying the name of the book because it's such a a dangerous book. Um, It basically tells you that to be skinny and cool, you should eat um, like raw fruit for breakfast, raw vegetables for lunch, and bread and vegetables for dinner. Um, Oh my goodness. So it's just like a very extreme vegan book that has a lot of shaming and unhealthy messages in it. Um, And, you know, I was 18 years old and grew up in a small town and then moved to college. And I was like, yeah, I want to be skinny and cool and pretty, which is basically the message of the book. So I just like went cold turkey vegan right then for the next four years. Wow. Who wrote the book? What were their credentials? Um, you know, I actually just looked them up to see if they were still vegan and I couldn't find anything on it. But um, it's like Rory Friedman and another woman. And I don't I don't actually know what their credentials are, but I was reading some of the reviews um, that like psychologists had read the book and just said how dangerous the messaging is even there one comment said like they could see how this book could bring a depressed person to have suicidal thoughts oh my word yeah i mean even the title like the name yeah it's like it's abrasive yeah i mean i can't imagine wanting that to fall in the hands of my kids no but me as an 18 year old i can definitely see how i'd pick that up you know Mm -hmm. well it also it was like, hey, you can come belong to this tribe. Mm, you know, There's like a cool girl piece of it. Yeah. And I was so homesick at, in college when I first moved mm. there because I went to Northeastern in Boston. And, you know, I grew up in a small town. And so it just felt like, oh, yeah, I want to be a part of this club. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right, so how did you even get your hands on the book? Did you find it in a bookstore? Did someone give it to you? Somebody gave it to me, my friend. So we did it together. Like, we were like, yay, we can be cool and be vegan and skinny together. That's making more sense because that's even common, like, uh, in the restrictive eating world. You Mm -hmm. usually, like, try to find a partner to do things with, and it helps you kind of bury your head further in the disordered eating sand unfortunately it's just a true it's just a true piece of it it just opened the door for me because they um promote water fasting too so like i and i had never had any kind of eating issues before um before i became a vegan but i would basically start binge eating because i was so nutritionally starved and then i would just stop eating for a week at a time and i would say it's healthy. I'm water fasting. And mm. it's so sad because I know so many women and teenagers who have used 
veganism as sort of like a cover-up for their eating disorder. Yeah, I definitely, I wasn't vegan. I did the vegetarian thing because I wanted to be able to say if I showed up at someone's house and they cooked dinner, I wanted to be like, oh, sorry, that has meat. I can't eat it. Wow. It's the only reason. So I was, I was a vegetarian for like two years mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And that's not to say all vegan choices are, are based on a desire to be restrictive in that no. nature, but it certainly does happen. And so that's interesting that that was a piece of your story. Yeah. So you read this book, but then that's a really big life change to make just off of one book. What Were there any other things that were like perpetuating this idea for you? I think that just reading the book combined with the fact that I had gained like maybe five pounds, but I had never... I had always been a lean kid, um, and that felt really scary to me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It just, and I, this is terrible and embarrassing, but like I loved being able to feel sort of morally superior because I was mm-hmm. a vegan. Yeah, talk to me about that because. I hear that a lot, mostly from like people who have walked away from veganism of there's this like ideological complexity that like us meat eaters just don't understand and we just can't wrap our heads around it. And there seems to be like, a, I don't know. Yeah, we're better than you because we can we can we hold these standards. I guess it's more of a standard that you're holding that's higher than other people. And and that's where I feel like we can hold really high standards in animal agriculture as well. Like I promise we can't. And but that doesn't always line up. So tell us as vulnerable or as as much as you want to share, like what what were you actually thinking in your head when you're walking around like I'm a vegan? What did that mean to you? What did that feel like? What were some of the beliefs that you were Um, tapping into well I first of all I had no idea that um, like responsible animal agriculture existed at that point so I and they're very graphic in this book about animal agriculture Um, Hmm. I mean I think even in industrial farming like what they're talking about almost never happens. Um, so I, I remember at first it was like, oh my gosh, I love animals and I, I can't believe that I am causing this, you know, these horrific things to happen to animals, animal abuse and everything. Um, and I think that coupled with sort of feeling like I belonged to this tribe. And then, um, yeah, I think that there was some lack of self-worth in there. A lot, actually. Um, And being vegan gave me a sense of self-worth in some way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know being able to tell people that like, oh, I'm a vegan. Um, it just, it sort of like boosted me up, I guess. Yeah. It kind of gives you an identity. Like people can kind of form some assumptions about you just because you can say like, Hey, I'm a vegan, you know, Mm -hmm. for good or for bad, truthfully. 
And we actually had a podcast episode talking about how dangerous it is whenever your food choices become your identity. Like we believe your food choices should never, even if you're like, I'm animal based, I'm carnivore, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's all the same. It's all in the same vein. Yeah. Whenever, because I eat um, like sort of an animal based diet. Um, and whenever I talk about it, I make sure to say like, I am not obsessively animal-based I think that any extreme extreme diet can be dangerous because of that because of the identity totally you know it it becomes like instead of what am I eating how is it nourishing me how do I feel it just becomes like I'm eating this to be part of this identity and I don't think that's very healthy right to fit into this box of ideology yes and healthy in that perspective that we're talking about just from like a social interaction point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And how, how we interact with other people in this walking down the street, someone's eating a cheeseburger and you're thinking to yourself like, man, that person is just scum, yeah. right? Yeah. And and it's like, you know, I'm going to whip out my, my container of carrots and celery and be superior. And it's like, well, you know what? That goes both ways. And, I, and I'm speaking to myself, speaking to everyone that's, you know, you can be on, I don't know, paleo keto you could be in the real food game of just eating real whole foods whether it's animal based whether it's vegetables whatever and you can still have this effect and so i think i think uh, while it might be it might be prevalent with veganism often and i think one of the reasons it might come from that is because some people might choose this path because of the media positioning it as a superior option and and like that in itself kind of perpetuates that that mentality and that some of that 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 you know potential problem uh, sometimes more than others right i don't know very many people that that, are, that go on whole 30 that i feel like are looking down on me that they're just miserable right it's like hey you're mm-hmm. you're sad you're 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 cutting a lot of foods out for this this 30 day period but they're not looking at me like you know, look at me. I'm eating whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I think every diet can or dietary choices can't. You can fall into that. And that's what we're saying. But um, it feels like the meat, like this mass pop culture positioning, almost perpetuates that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like more than a diet too. Like it's a lifestyle, and that's what that's like a tagline that I see often. Is like we want to do the least harm, and so that means everything from, you know, the stuff in our house, the products we use. And that's where I'm like, listen, I get it. I'm on the same page with you, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like traveling next to each other 90% of the road. And then you just split off right at the end there. So, and one of the biggest frustrations I have is hearing from people who went the vegan route and then their health suffered. So, and I want to, I know you want to talk about that too. So like, before we get there though, did you see a significant spike in like energy levels or you were feeling amazing when you switched over to veganism initially? Like, did you have a honeymoon period? And then if so, you know, how long did that last? And then where did things start to decline? Yeah, I definitely had a honeymoon period, um, which makes sense because vegetables are cleansing. Um, I was eating a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I don't remember how long it lasted. I, I'm going to say maybe like four to six months. 
Um, okay. Yeah. And then that's when I really started developing a binge eating disorder. Um, and I didn't even realize until years later, actually, Joel Salatin pointed it out to me. I was I was talking about it and he was like, of course you were binge eating. You were nutritionally starved. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that makes so much sense. That, so where were you where you were ch- ch- chatting with Joel about this? Were you at his farm? Yeah, I actually interned there. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So you were there. Okay, yeah. so that's awesome. I'm Apologies. curious about what you binge on as a vegan. Is it just like tons of carrots? No, or? it was bad, like very unhealthy packaged foods, cookies, and... Um, just vegan processed foods. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. I mean, very similar anytime you you binge otherwise it's usually the highly palatable you know stuff that you're restricting yourself on right and then you're like "Ah, yeah and like you know sugary foods are very high energy um Mm. so it's what it's what like hunter gatherers would probably crave you know those are really like dear foods to them because they're very high energy yeah, your body's like, hey, uh, laser focus yeah. on that quick sugar so I can get some energy yeah. so I can so my heart doesn't stop yeah. right now. So four to six months, you have the honeymoon period, which I would I was surprised by that. I, I feel like people say they've been vegan for like three years and they're like, it's amazing. Um, but it, again, it's like I, I, I don't want to would have said that three years later, even though oh, like really? my hair was falling out. And oh, yeah. Definitely. You still would have said you were feeling great, even though you had symptoms of malnourishment. Mm-hmm. I was, I was like on, I was, it was the hill I would die on, like until my hairdresser thought I had cancer because my hair, so much of my hair had fallen out. <gasps> oh my goodness. Yeah. Is that common if you, if you go vegan to, to lose your hair? It is. Yeah. Really? What, what, do we know what causes that? I imagine something hormonal. Yeah. I don't know exactly. Know. Some sort of... I, I'm, it could be... Um, I know your hair will fall out if you are short on minerals. Okay. Yeah. So so hair's falling out. We're, uh, you, you know, the hairdresser thinks we have cancer. What 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 else is... What, period, what point in time was this starting to, to occur? This was about four and a half years later. So sort of just like right after graduating from college or last year. Actually, it was my last year in college. I lived in Ireland. Oh, wow. I had a bite of like a che- my friend's cheeseburger was my first <laughs> foray back into meat. Yeah. I was going to ask, how was being vegan in another country? Um, It was... I mean, now when I think back on it, I just feel disappointed because I traveled <laughs> to so many cool places in Europe and missed out on so many incredible <laughs> foods. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was mostly the same. Did they have a context for veganism? Did, could you be able to tell a server, hey, I'm vegan? Or do they have menu items? Or did you have to pick and choose just like vegetable sides? I would say more that. I mean, it was. It, I was in Ireland, so I feel like that's like a, they don't have a super strong food 
culture. Um, like my roommates were from Spain, you know, when I would go home to visit them, they'd be like, are you sure you don't want the ham? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> oh, that is funny. Yeah. So four and a half years in, um, how, how much longer from then, like when the symptoms kind of began of, you know, some malnourishment, how long did you kind of stick it out? Oh, I mean, years. I, I, I'd say they, they started, I mean, the, the eating disorder was pretty bad. Um, but yeah, I, I remember having conversations with my mom and she was so worried about me because like I had no color in my face and my hair was just like dull and she'd be like, Katie, I, I don't think you're healthy. Like, I think you, you know, you need to think about what you're eating. And I'd just yeah. be like, mom, this is the healthiest diet. Like, mm. because that's what I had been told. And, yeah. um, yeah, and I like I thought I was being, you know, good to animals and the environment and myself. Um, so it took a couple of years of just I mean, eventually my spine was degenerating and um like I just I had to <laughs> I had to start eating meat again and that's sort of like in line with me as a person. Generally, I need to sort of be like knocked in the head by something really hard in order to make a change. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it took a while for me to accept it. So when you decided, Hey, I should probably start consuming animal products. Was meat the first thing you went to, or did you slowly add in like eggs or dairy or any, like anything else? It was, I ate like chicken breast for probably the first two years. Cause it feels like the cleaner meat. Even though it's so, Chicken dirty. Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've talked about that before about, cause I had the same thing. I was like, I'll be a pescatarian. Mm-hmm. I'll only eat fish. Who knows what kind of, I wasn't eating like wild yeah. fish. I was probably eating like farm yeah. ocean fish, you know, or like farmed shrimp or something. Mm-hmm. And so we have, we have these perceptions that like, because chicken is, I don't even know why we think it's the cleaner meat. Like, but we think for some reason it's it's not as bad as killing a fuzzy cat mm-hmm. with brown eyes because they're so cute. Yeah. Chickens were like, nah. Totally. Fish were like, we don't even care. Um, so you ate chicken breast for two <laughs> years. Your, your body was like, oh, so close, Katie. But I know. Yeah. Like, keep going. Yeah, that's funny. What was the impact of that? How did you feel? So you started incorporating some chicken. What was the impact? I felt better, um, but it took me really like years and years to to really recover I think um but yeah I I mean I remember the first bite like I remember it so vividly we were walking down this street in Dublin Ireland and my friend had a hamburger that she was eating it was like 2 a.m um but this was (laughs) This was in 2010, so it was 13 years ago, and like the memory is so I I can like I'm getting teared up talking about it. But, like I just remember the first bite of the cheeseburger, and it it just tasted like life. Like yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> what convinced you in that moment to take a bite of it? I don't. 
don't actually remember. I I think that I think that I just knew that I needed it. Mm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's not like I mean they had my roommates had given up, you know, trying to get me to eat meat. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're co- coercing you all the time. Like, come on, take yeah. a little bite. People love to do that, actually. People, if you say you have a specific food standard, people love to push it. They do. Oh, you're not eating sugar right now? Oh, are you sure? Here's some cupcakes. Bit? Yeah, we just. We I made just made some, some milkshakes. Do you want one? Yeah, we made some sweet tea. Or, like, uh, hey, I, I'm just, I'm not doing dairy right now. Oh, just a little bit of cheese or butter. It's funny. It's almost like we, as humans, can't stand the fact that someone else can be more self-disciplined than us even if that's not the case and even if that person is just has the wrong motives and they're like hey i want to be restrictive something inside of us yeah oh we want to press into it like why are you doing that? i think it's because nobody knows how to nourish themselves anymore (laughs) i'm serious like if you think about food and how just the culture around it like there's so much shame and confusion and pressure and so many people don't feel good like so many people have autoimmune diseases and digestive problems and everything and I think that that plays in to that because it's like oh if you're not eating sugar right now well that triggers that person who probably doesn't feel good and wishes they couldn't you know they weren't eating sugar right now but and yeah it's it's very interesting. It's it's sad because I agree. There's so much dietary confusion. And unfortunately, in these states of probably malnourishment, we're making these decisions to do things really extreme. Um, I know a lot of people go to paleo for healing. Mm-hmm. I know that's true. I know a lot of people find healing there. But there's also downside to paleo. You're also really low on carbs and your body might not want that. You might be a woman in your fertile years and you need carbs. Yeah. So it's, but there's so much nuance. It's like, unless I personally am going to pay the money to go get a like holistic nutrition degree just for my own self and never make a dollar off that knowledge, how the heck am I supposed to know? And so it's like, even then we're also different. Yes. So it's the bio individuality. Yeah. I have been where I mean obviously we raise all of our own meat but we're so lucky in Vermont to have so many incredible neighbors you know raising organic raw milk and amazing vegetables and so I just feel like I feel like my body is so nourished but I've also gained maybe five pounds from where I was like before I met Ben when I would eat popcorn for dinner um (laughs) And I, for the, the first year, I was like, why have I gained five pounds? Um, I don't, and then I'm like, oh, because I'm feeding myself. I'm like, I'm nourishing myself with these amazing foods. And this is just where my body is supposed to be. Yeah. It's just different so- from what society has told me it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, touching on a few a few last points on before we transition into talking about your operation, kind of I guess your your soon to be husband is yes. Ben or current, oh, which is awesome by the way. Um, but before we kind of get into that that part of your journey and your story, uh, I just I'd written down some questions because um, I believe there's going to be a number of parents and friends of of people they know and people listening that that um, 
I'm always very careful to approach somebody that's made a choice in their life and to try to convince them that that is, you know, for some reason I'm right and you're wrong. I feel like that never goes well. However, um, when we're out there and we're talking to people that have maybe decided to go vegan, um, I, I'm curious, you know, as you know, approaching their kids or, you know, what are some approaches that you feel like from a discussion point of view or a let's, let's look into some facts or data, what might have been successful talking to you back in those times? Like what would you have potentially listened to? Yeah. Um, I've thought about this a lot because I, I think once I was in it, I don't know if anything could have Mm. gotten me out of it. Um, Maybe if I had learned about regenerative beef and lamb and, um, and like what goes into making soy products and, Mm. you know, how many animals are killed in that process. Um, just that like something always is dying for our food. I wish that I knew that back then, but I think that I, this is, this might be sort of a charged opinion, but I think that a lot of veganism comes out of um, like unhealthy emotional states, like depression or loneliness, um, lack of self-worth. I actually think that like I, I get a lot of threats from vegans on Instagram and, um, I was reading some comments and somebody had commented, I tried to go vegan, but I was so unhealthy that I had to start eating meat again. And then a a vegan commented, it's not about you. And I just, I look at that comment and I think that person doesn't think they're worthy of being nourished. Mm, Um, So I think that, it all for me started, you know, before that book came into my hands. Like, I think that if I was an emotionally healthy 18 year old person who had, you know, maybe not had divorced parents and who had received all of the love that I needed. Um, and my parents did the best they could and I don't fault them, but, um, you know, I think maybe that's what would have changed it rather than somebody trying to get me out of it afterwards. For you, for me, veganism was almost like a symptom of something that was happening, and and that's yeah. definitely not. I, I'm not going to call that everyone, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying that everyone. It's it's like that. Some people they choose to go vegan, and they're they are just a, a bag floating in the wind, and they're like, you know what? I'm going to try this. You know, let's go. You know, I don't feel great. I want to try something that might help me. Mm-hmm. I think that I think I believe that happens. There are yeah, definitely. And, and I believe there's, there's, I, I, we've even talked on this podcast a number of times where I believe there's a lot, a lot of potentially good rhythms that can come of choosing to be a vegan. And it's like you said, we're on the yeah. path. We're both it, walking totally. the same direction that we, one person goes right on animal products and we go left. Mm-hmm. And it's like everything else is pretty close. Like I want to be in nature. I, I really care about animals and I care about my health and what I'm eating. I want to eat whole, whole ingredients as much as I possibly can. And so um, this is, this is, um, amazing by the way. And, 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 um, what, what would, what would you recommend as an approach 
not 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 necessarily to change their minds. That's what we're looking for, and we're not looking for like data because that was kind of the first question. But now, what's you know how how should we approach somebody like this? If I'm thinking about our three daughters, mm. and if if one of my daughters chooses this path in the future, um, I'm thinking based off of what you just told me, the last thing I should do is go to her with a bunch of notes and say, let me tell you all the reasons why you are killing yourself and why you're a fool, and here's where you're wrong. Because one, I, I would never do that, and two, um, I don't I. I Talk to me. What's the approach? Yeah, I will say that um, that's mostly what I got from people. Oh. Um, and th- I think that sort of just added fuel to the fire. You know, it's like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. Um, mm. But I think that what what comes to mind is just like gentle nudges of, you know, that it's okay to nourish your body and um teaching kids how to think about how they feel when they eat something and learn how just learn how to listen to your body right because like your body's telling you if something is wrong i i think that most of us just don't know how to listen to it um but i think you know everybody has to like it's something that i had to come to myself right that i had to start eating meat again we're we're responsible for our our own healing um but yeah i i think and i i do remember telling somebody that was close to me that i thought i had an eating disorder and they were like no you don't because i looked mostly fine right like I was, I was, I was maybe like 10 pounds heavier than I am now. I was a a little, um, overweight and like my skin was sort of, but I looked pretty normal. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think probably if that person had been like, okay, like I will help you. I want to help you. Um, that, that probably would have changed things faster for me. Mm. That's awesome. The the thing I the thing I get frustrated about with in regard to eating disorders is that I feel like it's either approached one of two ways. It's either one hundred percent psychological. Let's heal your mind. What's going on with you? Do you have childhood trauma you need to overcome? And a lot of times that's the case, and that's valid. But the other part that they so often don't address is that. The reason you're binging is because you're looking for satiation that you're not getting in your everyday diet. Mm -hmm. And instead of just teaching me to not fear a cupcake, how about you teach me how to eat animal products and real whole foods so that I'm satiated so my body's never tempted to then go binge. The binge happens because of the restriction. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately... That is not what's being taught. And I know because I went through it. And um, so I think for you, if someone could have said like, hey, let's talk about like what is leading you up to these binges? Is it because it, it can be driven emotionally? Absolutely. I think that's true. But also we need to approach it from a physical standpoint. Like there's physical healing. And I actually think that if we heal the physical body, then our mind will will follow a little bit because all of a sudden I'm. I, I just recently came to the conclusion that like I have a lot of lapses in memory in in high school because I was walking around so malnourished. Wow. Like I went to my 10 year high school reunion. I was with some of my friends and they're talking about, do you remember this time? And I have zero memory. Wow. Of it. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
And I would be at band camp and we would be like on the field and then we'd go in for lunch and I'd eat my lunch. I immediately would purge it and I'd go back out on the field at 90 degree weather. No wonder I have no memory of that. And so it's like, I wish we would approach it physically and mentally at the same time. And it sounds like if someone could have come to you, even if you stayed in your vegan lane for a little bit, Mm -hmm. said, hey, how can we better satiate you? How can we get you off of this roller coaster? Let's ride? talk about macronutrients. Let's talk about the the things yeah. your body needs to function. You know, take take animal out of it. Just take about what Eat what some coconut oil. What <laughs> nutrients does seriously? Your, what nutrients does your body take need? Take a cup of uh, olive oil. <laughs> or avocados. Like I mean, I yeah, yeah. Well, you probably. I think that just also goes back to like we don't really know. I'm saying we as a society what nourishes us. Like yeah, we don't. You hear I do I have this morning meditation that I do every morning and <clears throat> um it has seven affirmations in it and one of them is about taking care of your body and it says drink water and eat your fruits and veggies and I'm just like how about drink water and like eat beef liver and raw milk like exactly you know I mean veggies are are great but they're not like the building blocks of nourishing your body totally I feel like I remember so for me when I was growing up I remember the big push was kids don't want to eat fruits and fruits and vegetables I, I mean I feel like that's how I remember growing up. It was, oh man, so and so is not eating his peas, yeah. or I hate broccoli. Right? This was this was me growing up, and it's probably a reason our kids hate broccoli. People, <laughs> but but no, there's it was just like there was so many vegetables out there that were always being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, and kids don't eat enough vegetables. Kids don't eat enough vegetables. Now we're now we're in a place where it's like we're we're saying like kids shouldn't eat these other things like, like that jingle or or that jingle the um, meditation, <laughs> meditation yeah. uh, script that you just read a part of of eat your fruits and vegetables like that just got me a little bit of a flashback of mm-hmm. are they saying it because this is what's most important or are they saying it because people don't want to it's like <laughs> my, my first thought was well you know kids don't want to eat their veggies you know those commercials and eat you know eat your veggies kids and just go do your homework right mm-hmm. Yeah, I did a uh, Instagram post probably a year and a half ago and because the common phrase is like, eat the rainbow, make sure you're getting like purple vegetables and red and all your uh, different varieties, the whole spectrum. And so I made a eat the rainbow post, but in like the red column, I added like beef liver and Mm. steak and then in the white column, I had like whole eggs and then in the uh, yellow, I had butter and Mm. I was like, this is what eat the rainbow should be. I love it. Your foods should be all different colors but like veggies and fruits aren't the only foods and so if we could just teach kids from the beginning what their food what whole nourishing foods look like I mean this is exactly like what we're doing at home Mm -hmm. I'm fired up about it but it's just it's so much more powerful for me to hear through your story because I'm sure there's so many others that can resonate with that Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah I yeah I It just uh, it just breaks my heart because I, I'm I'm kind of a person that people come to to tell these stories now and mm-hmm. like we had <clears throat> this teenager at our farm this summer she actually just came with her um, family we have an Airbnb and she is 17 now but like she spent her 16th year in an inpatient psychiatric hospital because she 
became a vegetarian and then she became a vegan and then she stopped eating. And she, yeah, she had to spend like months at, um, in a hospital learning how to eat again. And she said, she was like, it like veganism did that to me. And it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's, I, it's unnecessary for women and young girls to be... I mean, there there's men too, but it's uh, the large majority is women um, and girls. And it's just... It's unnecessary. And... Yeah. I get really frustrated and angry and like, why is this happening when I see our generation adopting these mentalities? And then without proper research and understanding, we are forcing our children to be vegan yeah or even plant-based without any recognition that for a developing body you have to have animal products Mm -hmm. that's where I'm just like the convert society has taken the conversation way too far when like the American Association of Pediatrics says like yeah you can probably have like a healthy vegan infant what are we wow. talking about? Yeah. Infants are supposed to be on breast milk. Right. That's freaking dairy, right. people. It's just from a human. Yeah. Like, what do you mean we could it just, it doesn't make sense. It, and I, I feel like we're trying to erase human biology because we have these ethical idealisms that we're like, this can happen. And we, and just the, just the point you made earlier about how, if you had known that it, through plant agriculture, animals still die then you maybe would have asked yourself more questions mm-hmm. about being vegan. Yeah. And it's, it's for me, the whole vegan conversation has gone too far when we feel like it's okay to force people who don't have their own free will, as in infants and babies and, and toddlers, to adopt a diet that we know has been detrimental to some people's health. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to solve that. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But it's just... I think that it's exactly what you're doing and exactly what I'm doing, which is connecting yeah. people to their food. Because mm-hmm. if I had known, like, the kids at Polyface, half the time they're next to us when we're butchering chickens, you know, yeah. pulling out the guts. Like, they're never going to have a moment when they're 17 and they learn like how a cow is killed to, to butcher it um, because they've just known all along and like they have a connection to the circle of life. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I think that's, it's just more, more people more connected to their food and their bodies and the earth. That's a great point because I remember my dad specifically, this is like back in the day when you'd have like a family computer mm-hmm. in your living room because you'd have like a yes. laptop. Did you ever have like a family computer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Come <laughs> on. And so like my dad, yeah. which like everyone, like, people alone in their rooms with laptops is a bad idea. But like I would be on the family computer and I was vegetarian and my dad literally saw me get on PETA's website one time and then t- took turned the computer off mm-hmm. and said, you are never to go on their website again. That is propaganda. And I'm like, my dad is very non-confrontational. Yeah. And I remember being so confused. Like, why are you so against these animal activists? They're trying to do the right thing. But now I understand they are propaganda because here's the thing. When you grow up in the suburbs, and it's so funny because you grew up on a farm, but it wasn't operating as a farm. When you allow your kids to have no context for animal like butchery, then when they become teens, they have this shock factor. Yes. Of like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that's what happens. 
and I've been eating this way my entire life. Mm-hmm. I've done something wrong. Yeah. And they might not they might not even be seeing an accurate representation of what their meat goes through, but if they're seeing animal abuse on any scale, they now assume every single animal agriculture mm-hmm. process is abuse. And then we leave it's this knowledge gap that you're exactly right. You just said it perfectly. It leaves room for us to make these rash just de- not rash decisions, for us to make these emotional decisions. Because and rash. We emotional and, and rash. <laughs> okay, and rash. But like to their point, of course we should be concerned about animal welfare. Yeah, like, I don't fault definitely. those teenagers. I don't I don't fault, you know, myself as a teenager. Mm-hmm. I think I was trying to do the right thing, but I didn't grow up with it. And so that's one thing I think about too. Like we don't have a farm, but our kids see deer hanging upside down. They see the skinning yeah. process, the deboning, they help us grind the meat. It's crazy how those tiny little pieces can help you just fill in the gaps mm-hmm. so that you don't have a shock factor when you're 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I think that's an excellent point you made beautifully. Thank you. So you are eating chicken, and from there, we start <laughs> eating other meats potentially. <laughs> this is great. Hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to keep us kind of on track here, but we, I, by all means, yeah. I love a good ra- rabbit trail. What, 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 uh, fast forward take me through that progression and let's start getting into uh you know kind of where you are today but but, but, uh take me along the journey sure so let's see after college i moved to california um and to work for specialized bikes and then i ended up in commercial banking and um i I'm, pro- I'm still eating mostly chicken breast, I'll be honest. I, I don't know if I really delved in, because I, I also didn't know how to cook meat. So, like, I would saute my chicken breast in the pan. It was disgusting. I Like, I never need to eat chicken breast again. Um, but, so I lived in my Silicon Valley bubble um, for four more years. And I think it... It all started shifting when I signed up for a CSA, a vegetable CSA, and I started volunteering on the farm on the weekends. And and I read, I think it's one of Michael Pollan's books, but he there was this one line in it where he talked about how so much of um, humankind's sort of unhappiness comes from the fact that we have transitioned from becoming, um, I forget what the exact word is, like producing things basically to just consuming things. Mm. And that just like something shifted in me where I knew that that was part of the reason why something just didn't feel right in my life. Um, Like I worked in a sea of gray cubicles for this commercial bank in Silicon Valley. And I was spending my weekends volunteering on this farm. And like, I loved having my hands in the soil and I was worried about Monsanto and glyphosate and like the state of the health of our country. And, and then one of my friends sort of helped me realize that like everything that I was interested in and concerned about revolved around food and farming. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I had this family farm that I worried about too, because there, there wasn't like a, there wasn't a next chapter for it. Nothing, nothing had been planned. Um, so 
I made this sort of someday plan that I would hike the Pacific Crest Trail, intern at Polyface Farm, and move home and rebuild my family's farm. And and then I watched a TED Talk one night, which is so funny because I just went and rewatched it a few months ago, and it's terrible. And <laughs> but something in it clicked for me, and um, I ended up quitting my job the next day. And wow. this was like March of 2015, and I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, it's a trail that goes from Mexico to Canada through California, Oregon, and Washington. Wow. And while I was on it, I applied for an internship at Polyface Farm um, because I had read, I mean, a bunch of Joel's books, but the way he talked about the land and and the animals and bringing the land back to life. Um, he's a very, he's a very heartfelt person. Um, and that really came through to me. It was like this one paragraph. And I knew that the way he felt about his farm was the way that I felt about my family's farm. And so, yeah, 2016, I went to Polyface and that's where it all really clicked because I still thought cows were bad for the environment when I went there. And then, then I saw what cows do to the environment. Like I saw the lush ecosystem that they literally create. Um, and yeah, that's when it all sort of started clicking for me. So I interned there and then I moved home to my family's farm and rebuilt it and things did not work out with my family. Um, it was like a very ugly, traumatic few years there that ended in police escorted visits to get my stuff. Wow. Yeah. And um, then this woman who had just inherited a farm in Rhode Island found me and I felt like she sort of scraped me up off the ground and like gave me a place to have a second chance. So I, I basically had to rebuild everything because I had poured all of my money and four years of my life into my, into infrastructure on my family's farm. And in 2021, by all measure of things, my farm was succeeding. Um, like I was making a living farming and I was in this really amazing farmer's market and I was doing home deliveries and like I just loved all of my customers so much and my animals were so happy and I was like I was so burned out and my nervous system was fried and so I had just I had met Ben five months earlier and I decided that I was gonna quit farming until we could find a farm to buy because I was I was just like what am I doing this for I all of the money I spend I make I reinvest into the land and the farm and infrastructure so like I had nothing to show for all of the work I had done and so there was this few weeks where I kept saying to Ben like something big is coming and I don't know what it is but I I was having to give up all the things that I loved the most. Like I had to walk away from my family's farm and that felt like 
a physical ripping of myself away from that land. And then I, I found a good home for my favorite cows. And so I sold them because I, I wanted them to go to a good home. And then Mm -hmm. the last thing was that I had to put my dog down unexpectedly. Mm. And so like we had the vet come, put him down. And the next day I was too sad to be home. So I, I was like, Ben, let's go to a coffee shop and you can do your work and I'll find our farm. Ha ha. And I was on, I was always perusing Um, And I was on Vermont Landlink, and I read the description of this farm. And it had everything on our dream list, like 100 acres of pasture, 50 acres of woods. And I'm reading, and I'm thinking, like, oh, this is going to be $2 million. And I get to the bottom, and they were taking applications and interviewing people and selling it for, you know, a quote-unquote affordable amount. Um, Wow. Yeah, so I was like, Ben, I, I, I think I actually felt like we need to leave. We need to leave. We need to research these people and we need to email them. And so I just I wrote them a really heartfelt email. I just I told them what happened on my family's farm, just like a little because I didn't want them to think I was a psycho person who's like, you know, <laughs> like involved with the police all the time or something. Um and yeah, long story short, they ended up picking us. And wow. we, um, the USDA has amazing farm ownership loans. They, like, we never would have qualified for a regular mortgage, but they just look at your farm's um, financial and production growth and like your cash flows and your business plan. And, um, as long as you have a good plan that can support the mortgage, you're good to, you're go. Good to go. And so, wow. yeah, we moved here in April of 2022 last year. That's amazing. Yeah. What a, I did not see that coming in your story. I thought, oh, she settled there. And then, oh, and then that's, that's wild though. But it was wild. Through all those, <laughs> yeah. 10,000 10, foot view. And I, we don't have to get too into it, um, but just on your family's farm, differencing in opinions on like the vision, was it like, you know, something like, was there like a criminal activity that sparked up? Like why? I, I'm just, I'm trying to imagine yeah. a scenario where you go back to a family farm and you say, I'm going to bring this back to be. And they're mad about it. I just, I'm, I'm and don't, don't feel any pressure. I just, I'm cu- no, very curious. So. <clears throat> I mean, when I first told my dad that I wanted to come home, his reaction was just like, no, it will never work. Um, Ah. And there's a lot of, there's just some generational abuse and trauma in my family and Mm. um, strong opinions about what women should or should not do. And Mm. so I think if I had been a man, like it it wouldn't have been as much of a problem. Interesting. Understood. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, (laughs) I'm trying to think of a way to describe it quickly, but it was just, I wanted to do things differently than things had always been done. And that was a really big problem. Um, But they weren't doing anything. So there was nothing happening. No. I mean, my dad was cutting the hay fields 
but that, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. he was mowing, mowing the grass. Yeah. For instance, like theoretically. Theoretically, okay. yeah. So so nothing was happening. There was no no farming going on. There was no farming going on. My dad owns an excavating business. He decided that he did not want to farm when he was a teenager. And I don't I mean, I don't blame him. My family were dairy farmers. That's a really hard life. But um mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't okay. I my therapist said that I was they made me the common enemy. Like my dad and my uncle own the farm. <clears throat> They get along-ish. My dad's girlfriend, you know, there's a lot of unhealthy relationships. And I became the person that sort of, like, got them all to get along better because they could Mm. hate me together. Mm, That's hard. You took the fall. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier where it's like when you say you're going to do something and then other people are like, well, that can't be done. That's not possible. Yes. You know, whether it's like, I'm going to cut out sugar, not saying you should cut out sugar, I actually think you shouldn't, but, or anytime you make a declaration that flies in the face of other people's assumptions, then they're like, well, that's just not going to work. Or you're too green, you're too young, you know, you're too, you know, yeah. Fascinating. I, I actually think that mentality happens a lot more, especially when you're dealing with family legacy and businesses. Oh, Yeah. You know, it's not just it's not just in agriculture. It's any time the next generation wants to do something different, yeah. push back. It's yeah. um, it's also not as rare as you would think it is for something right. almost exactly like this to happen on a family farm. Totally, um, maybe yeah. slightly different circumstances, but yeah. And it for for the year or two after I left my family's farm, like I thought that my life purpose was over. I I thought, I mean, that land, like, it talked to me. Like, I could feel my ancestors on that land. Like, it was the hardest, I hope, saddest thing that I ever go through in my life. But now, I am in, like, I am living the like the most dream life I could ever imagine. And I don't want to romanticize it because it's still really hard and stressful farming and everything. Um, But like, I can see my farm from here. I'm at the library next door. I'm like looking (laughs) out over my fields and, you know, I have Ben here and my family never would have let him do anything on their farm. And Mm. like they had... 40 acres of pasture and we have a hundred and we have farming neighbors and like beautiful fresh air and mountain views. And it was sort of like being a vegan. Like I, I just had to do that in order to get to where I am. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your farm today. What, what does that look like? Oh, it's so fun. (laughs) We, so yeah, we have a hundred acres of pasture. It's certified organic, and um, I'm really into silvo pasture, which is it's either incorporating pasture into a forest or incorporating forest into a pasture. Yes, I've heard about this only through Joel. So yeah, um, and the benefits of it are just innumerable. Like it provide you know the trees will eventually provide shade for the animals wind blocks for the animals um it's so good for the soil like um and 
we're, you know, we had a drought last summer with some extreme wind events, like the trees protect the grass from the drought. They protect the soil from extreme rain events. Um, they're beautiful. And so my, my thing lately is just that we're sort of like farming as a love letter to the earth. Mm. And it's so cool having this I mean, the people that owned the farm before us turned it from a um, like a monocrop dairy farm into a grass-based dairy farm. So they did so much of the hard work for us, and they just handed us this like beautiful, thriving grass farm. And wow. now we just get to like take the next steps with it. Um, when you say monocrop dairy farm, were they growing like the grain to feed the cows? Yeah, so they were growing a lot of corn and then the cows would be just like mostly in the barns and they'd be growing crops on all the fields. Uh, and then they switched them to pasture. Yeah. Okay. When they were, <clears throat> they said like they were the crazy people that were turning cornfields into hay fields. And now like we're the crazy people planting trees in the hay fields. <laughs> <laughs> So this tree concept, I remember I went to Polyface last year and Joel was talking, I wish I took notes. He was talking about the fact that there are more trees now than there were when the land was being operated by the indigenous people that were here. And that he specifically talked about the way that they would, which you think it would be the opposite because we're like deforesting. Mm. But he's like, no, there's more trees now. Our forests are more dense. And he said, that's a problem. He said, we used to, not we, but the people who were on the land first understood the importance of having um, like lower grasses beneath the trees one so you wouldn't be snuck up by like an enemy Um, but also like they maintained the forest ground so that there wasn't overgrowth and we see this like this the blame for Californian fires Mm -hmm. because we're not maintaining this and then there's too much dry brush and it's catching on fire so like what did you learn from him or what are you learning about this interesting forest pasture marriage yeah we didn't talk about it too much when I was at his farm I mean we had um one pig area up on the mountain that was yeah. called like the Silva pasture I've seen there yeah yeah, yeah, I've yeah. Seen, seen those pigs um but I I got into it when I was at a NOFA conference and there was this man named Akiva Silver and I was actually on my way to like a grazing seminar, but I was, I got there at the last minute and it was so full that I couldn't get in the door and I didn't have time to look at the schedule to pick something else. So I just went in what was next door and it was Akiva talking about chestnut trees, um, which I had never really heard of, but he told this story about how they were kind of like I mean, they were, it was, I think it was 25% of trees on the East Coast were chestnut trees. And he talked about how the chestnut blight would be like if you went out and looked at the apple tree in your backyard and you saw that it had weird spots on it and then it, that it was dying. And then you called, so you called your, your friend and you're like, oh, my apple tree is dying. And then your friend is like, oh, that's so weird. So is mine. And then... 20 years later, like your kids had never heard of apple trees. Um, wow. Yeah. And 
So I just got really into chestnut trees. Like ever since I heard him talk, I just, I, I knew I wanted to plant chestnut trees someday. So we, about 30% of the trees we've planted are chestnut trees. Um, so yeah, we're planting chestnuts and honey locusts, thornless honey locusts, mostly with some persimmon and mulberry, which are sort of an experiment because they're kind of on the line of whether they're, they'll survive or not in our zone. But um, so all of those trees will provide food for the sheep and the cows too. And like the thornless honey locusts drop their pods through the winter. So it'll reduce our dependence on hay, which wow. is just like, yeah, I think that perennial food systems are the future of food. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just like incorporating more perennial systems into our farm. And are you, um, are you like measuring the distance between these trees? I mean, is it still something where you can, I guess you probably wouldn't use machinery on your pastures anyways, but like, are you able to move through that land still? Or is it going to be like, I'm trying to picture it. Yeah. So we're, we planted about 300 trees last year and I think we're planting like between four and 500 this year. So last year we did plant it on a grid 30 by 30. Okay. Um, okay. So we planted about six acres and we, we then just ran temporary fence lines <clears throat> down all the rows of trees and we grazed the animals in between them. Okay. So that's so, cool. yeah, you probably wouldn't, I mean, you could, but it would be inconvenient to like cut hay on it. Um, but okay. you can definitely get up and down if you need to. Okay, that was going to be my question. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you're growing and you're cutting, are you weaving through the trees or not? It sounds like no. no but yeah, it's an interesting concept. I had never heard of that before. And I, but it makes sense. Like, if you think about if we never touched the earth or cultivated it, it'd probably look a lot similar to that. We'd still have open grasslands yes. and prairie lands and stuff, but we'd have more integrated trees and it wouldn't just be because, yeah, it, it wouldn't be a monocrop, right? It'd yeah. All kinds of species. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, which is what I love so so much about. So I I used to raise chicken, pork, turkey, eggs, and beef. Um, And then once I started learning more about grain farming, it just didn't feel quite right to call myself regenerative when my animals were eating so much grain. Um, So we moved to just grass-fed animals. Um, And your beef and um, what are you selling right now? Beef and lamb even lamb that's mm-hmm. it. yeah that's so cool so so the beef beef and lamb operation it's you, you also now have like a shop and you sell this stuff yeah we sell it um we are opening a farm store at some point it's like you know it's like 20 things down the list <laughs> that oh, yeah. need to be done but we sell most of it through um, a mail order subscription program that we call Farm Club. So people can sign up cool. for either a monthly, every other month, or quarterly box of beef, and then we send them like a recipe book. And oh, awesome. yeah, we also sell organ capsules. So we dehydrate oh, cool. and powderize the organs. And yeah, those have been really great. I have a naturopath um, who recommends them to everyone, which is really nice. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, t- I take desiccated organs um, about every day, like six Yeah, steps, me so too. Feel amazing. Mm-hmm. So so before we get to how people can find you or get some of your awesome beef and lamb or, or organ capsules, 
which I do know that you take those all the time. Yeah, he sees you. <laughs> and I, I try to convince you too. And you're sometimes, like, yeah, I'm good. Sometimes you like open up and you slip them into milkshakes, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. That's, that works out pretty well. I open out pretty the capsule. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't put this. I wouldn't put yeah. the capsule yeah. in. Blend it up. No. So before we before we wrap up here, anything anything else as we as we get into, uh, we'll definitely talk about how we can find Katie Steer and all of her, all of her stuff. But anything else? I feel like the thing that comes to mind that I would want anyone listening to this to know is just that you are worthy of being nourished. And Mm. I also think we need to stop thinking of food in terms of healthy or unhealthy and instead ask, does this nourish me? And it could, you know, those beef organs, they nourish your body. Maybe if you're at a party with people you love and there's a beautiful cake there, like that cake is going to nourish your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I love that you said that. Because I say that Bye. often too. Like when I was writing the curriculum, I was like, we're not going to have the words healthy and unhealthy. Yes. Because you can have a pizza that's unhealthy and you can have a pizza that's quote healthy. Right. Like my standard mm-hmm. of pizza would be like a sourdough pizza I made at home mm-hmm. with amazing cheese and whatever. But like those terms aren't helpful and they're perpetuated everywhere in society. And then everyone has a different version of what healthy yes. is. And then the other thing I love that you said is like you're worthy of being nourished. Um, I was listening to this interview of a woman who was a vegan for a long time and then she she transitioned out of veganism. And she said the phrase because it used to in her vegan mindset, she used to always say, I don't want to create any unnecessary harm by killing animals. And then she started to say after her health declined, I'm redefining what necessary means. Not saying we're mean about how we're slaughtering animals, but for her killing, taking the life of an animal was just cruel. Mm -hmm. And now she's seeing it as necessary for her livelihood. And I think like her just even saying that phrase, like I'm redefining what necessary means. I'm redefining what my nourishment worth is. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what you're saying. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's like if I could sit down every little girl when they're like yes. years old and tell them, like, you're so worthy of being nourished. Yes. Like we could change lives. Yeah. Like, I truly I, believe that we could change lives. I do lives. too. And I, I also think it goes a little further than that too with the nourishing in that like is your food nourishing the earth? Because mm. like our beef, um, it creates this whole beautiful ecosystem for wildlife and like lush perennial pastures and like this amazing soil. And and then there are some types of farming that are, that are really violent to the earth um, yeah. that some people might think are, are better if they don't know. And so I just think... I think nourish is just the the perfect word. Like, does it nourish me? Does it nourish the earth? I I agree. What's your tagline on your farm again? Because I think that's in there. Oh, yeah. It's nourishing body, soil, and soul. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. It's like, oh, you just tied a bow on it. Yeah. it. Awesome. So, so, Katie, where can people find your soul and body nourishing foods? Yeah, um, our URL is grassfedvermont.com. And then I'm on Instagram at wildearthfarm underscore. Cool. Right on. And so you've got everything for, so direct to consumer, we're selling stuff mm-hmm. on these websites. People can go on there, buy lamb, beef products. Yep. Um, yeah, we sell and- um, through the subscription service, but they can also buy like one-off boxes if they want to try it out. Yeah. 
right on. And shipping across the United States, mm -hmm. yeah. all the way Nationwide. across. Wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely go check that out. That sounds amazing. The um, anything else from like a finding you finding your foods sort of thing that I might, I might have missed. Yeah, are you guys on YouTube at all, or just mostly Instagram? Just Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, YouTube is one of those things I'm always scared. I know. Of. I feel like it's another monster that I just don't. It I'm is. not ready for it. I know. We'll get there. We'll yeah, get there. we'll all get yeah. there. We'll hop on there when we're when our minds are nervous. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Awesome, Katie. Well, this has been amazing. I've loved this conversation. I knew I was going to really enjoy picking your brain. And thank you for being so vulnerable with your yeah. story. I think it's really powerful. So thanks for being thank here. You. Have a great Bye. Day. See ya. And giving today's featured brands one last shout out, Kelowna Supernatural is providing high quality dairy products from small family farms to communities nationwide. Be sure to check out one of their many beyond organic dairy products. I personally love their whole milk and their butter. Learn more at KelownaSupernatural.com. Toops & Co. Organics is the skincare and makeup company that we've chosen for our family. As a mother of three daughters, it's incredibly important that we source truly clean skincare. Be sure to check out their tallow bombs, organic mascara, and more at toopsandco.com and use the code HOMEGROWN for 10% off your order. And with that, Katie Steer has left the virtual chat. I'm just going to point out the irony because I said it to her before we hit record and I said, do you get this a lot? And she said, I wish more people made the connection. But ex-vegan Katie, her last name is Steer. I just feel like it's meant to be. And now she raises beef. It's pretty cool. I'm just saying. I love it. Man, I the, so I just want to, we might even have to put like a... Disclaimer. This, yeah. Like it's just, this is a very, very, I think heavy. It is. Yeah. Heavy episode and... There are there are a number of people out there that um, they need to hear this. Mm -hmm. Not not from a this is not a ha ha look look we're right you're wrong you know veganism is bad. But I think that there's there it might even be the other way for some people wherein they want to go hit their kids with a homegrown education real food guide, right? And be mm -hmm. like hey, you're not helping yourself by eating. You know what I mean? And just this parents approaching their kids or siblings approaching each other or you know a spouse like friends just this this approach needs to be different than i think it is and katie obviously wasn't approached in in um a very helpful you know honoring way mm -hmm. and that's just that's, that's just tough I think too, like a danger in hearing someone's story where they are that vulnerable is you you have the potential to write it off and say, well, that wasn't me. I, I didn't struggle with self-worth and I, I wasn't, you know, ripe for this, you know, identity in my food. I made the decision with a clear head mm -hmm. and I believe that veganism is the way to go. And, and to those people, um, like we absolutely acknowledge that happens. Like we said earlier in the conversation, not, not everyone obviously experiences that same kind of major life transition in the same way but for me personally I had not heard of that specific cause and effect um, happening and so with Katie being so vulnerable to say hey I actually think there were some underlying things I actually think there are some pieces of the vegan movement that I really mm. was sucked into because I had these other factors going on 
it reminds me of other conversations we've had where we once you unearth one thing you realize oh i'm not even fighting that battle i'm mm. fighting a different one so i just wanted to encourage people that are listening and this is at the end so they've already heard it but like anytime we hear someone's story we should our first mode should be grace filled mm-hmm. every time oh yeah so yeah i'm just really thankful that she came on and shared it because i think it's really powerful for katie veganism was a symptom of something else and i want to go on record saying that any and oftentimes people will find their identity in their food or in other areas of life or of this world and that oftentimes can be a symptom for you and i for our kids for people in the real food game we can and we got to be careful find our identities in this and if we do that it's potential it's possible that might be a symptom and i hadn't thought about that and that's really a spectacular way of 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 saying that because that helps guide our approach Mm -hmm. so there there is some challenging that needs to happen in the world people need to be challenged okay appropriately and being aware of the issue or the problem that is causing the symptoms is probably the number one focus initially you should start there prioritize the problem work the problem don't work the symptoms Mm -hmm. so anyways anything else on this um no i mean if anything that it it fuels my fire for what we're doing and i really appreciate how she kind of said hey we had these kids alongside of us butchering these chickens and now that's normal and now they have a a framework for that mm-hmm. you know it's like any opportunity as parents or uncles or aunts or grandparents or whatever sort of leadership role we have in a child's life anytime we can build a framework for them to understand food is nourishment um relationship with animals that we end up slaughtering Anytime we can build that, we should be able to. And I mm-hmm. think that that is one of the keys. You know, I think homegrown education is fantastic. I love the resources that we've built out, but it's on paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something I'd even encourage the community to do is like, hey, how can you get off of paper and, and go experience these things in real life totally. and use it as a, a springboard? Mm-hmm. You know, conversation doesn't stop when your workbook closes. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Yeah. Hey, if you liked this episode if you liked hearing from katie go check her out go hit her up on her instagram page go get you some meat some organ capsules get some of this awesome stuff in your life we'll link all that stuff in the show notes we'll find it there if you liked hearing from elizabeth and me you can find us online we have resources you can buy these resources you can get the free ones all these things are there to help you and help us if you buy a resource it helps us keep doing podcasts like this it also helps you because we have created these resources for you right we actually created them for us first actually yeah (laughs) Um, and then said hey you know what these are really great for us maybe other people could like them but we've got everything from children's nutrition curriculum talking about real food where they can find it learning about farmers learning about macronutrients things that nourish our bodies all this stuff is in there Everything from, you know, K to sixth grade uh, locked in. Go get those resources for your kids. We've got coloring books for your kids. We've got 
The Real Food Guide, What's for Dinner, What's for Breakfast, all those books on homegrowneducation.org. You can find those things and uh, you can make it happen. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're there as well. You can find Elizabeth at Liz Hazelmeyer. You can find me at Joey Hazelmeyer. You can find Homegrown at homegrown underscore education. And until next time, that's a wrap.